Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift it is to have your word before us this morning. Lord, we pray that you may help us to understand what you have said. We aren't too sure who you used to write this book of Hebrews, but Lord, we can recognise in it that it is your word and that you have spoken it to us for our benefit. Lord, we pray that we may not look into your word this morning and go out from here without profiting. Lord, may it be extremely helpful for us this morning to have gathered around your word together and may we be able to be mutually encouraged to follow you and to hunger after Jesus Christ, the best friend that any of us can have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We often recognise the supremacy of other people to ourselves, and often that is related to what they know compared to what we know, and even to the power that they may have over us. Uh, This last week I was feeling the supremacy of one particular person in my life, and that was the Telstra guy. I foolishly, when we moved out of our house over here and moved down the road, the week after I disconnected the phone line in that house by just yanking the cords out of the little connector and forgot that that redirected the business line, the church business line, into the church itself. So I lost the church business line and I lost the internet access here at the church by doing that. And I tried frantically to put it back together, tried to install it so that I would have the internet restored again, and to no avail. And then I got on the internet on my phone, because of course I didn't have internet access because I pulled the thing out of the wall, and tried to look up how I could do this. And I started to see these words about it's um, illegal to tamper with phone lines yourself. There are $12,000 fines. Um, You can uh, knock out the network for other people in the area by tampering with these things. And I started to get really, really worried. So I called up Telstra and said, my phone line's not working. Can you send the guy out? And I've met this guy before because we've had trouble with the phone line before. And I knew that if he came, it might be all right. But I still recognized his supremacy to me because he knew what to do in the situation and he would be able to work out what I had done and might hold me severely responsible for it. Thankfully he came and he uh, was very sympathetic to what had happened and fixed it all up and it's all working uh, fine now. Uh, so it's been redirected away from the house and into the, into the church office there. And so it's all okay. But I recognised for a few days there and I had to wait a few days because there was a long weekend involved before he could come out uh, and so I recognised the supremacy of this person to me, that they were higher than me and that I was subject to them. And that's what this passage in Hebrews is talking about. This passage uh, at the beginning here in chapter 1 is talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ to others. And we've seen last week that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament prophets. The Jews who were addressed by this letter, the book of Hebrews, uh, they had been converted to Christianity, but they're tempted to go back to Judaism because they're experiencing the persecutions that come with being a Christian. And so they recognize the Old Testament prophets and want to hang on to them. And last week we saw that Jesus is clearly superior to those prophets. But this week, the author of Hebrews wants to look at whether Jesus is superior to not just prophets, but to also angels. Why pick on angels, though? Why does 
this author of Hebrews want to look at angels as being superior or inferior to Jesus Christ? Well, the reason angels come up, I think, is because angels are great beings. And that's my first main point this morning. If you've got a church bulletin there, I've got the points on the back there for you to follow along. And my first main point is that angels are indeed great beings. Angels are a reality. They're not to be disbelieved about. We see them show up again and again in the Bible. In the Old Testament, an angel shows up here, an angel shows up there. And in the New Testament, angels appear, these messengers of God, these powerful beings that come from God. And we see that they are great beings in the things that they do. They're not just beings that show up as some sort of weak, pathetic thing that comes along and talks to you. No, they come in great power by what they do. What do they do? Well, they share the word of God with people. And we see that happen with Abraham. An angel comes and speaks to him and makes a promise that you're going to have a son. We see an angel show up and talk to Moses out of the burning bush. We see angels show up and talk to Elijah. Angels come and speak the words of God, which shows their power. They have come from God himself with the words of God. They are powerful beings. Is that all they do? They just bring messages? No, they actually do some other stuff. And the other stuff that they do is quite dangerous. They actually kill people in various ways. Who brought down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah? Who called down the fire to come down and destroy those evil cities? It was angels were involved there. Who brought the Israelites out of Egypt? Who was said to go before the Israelites into the promised land? God said, I send my angel with you to protect you and look after you. An angel was there making sure that they were safe and protecting them. Who brings the plague on the Israelites when David does the foolish thing of counting how many fighting men are in Israel? And he's given three options as to what will be the punishment. And he says, I would rather fall into the hands of God than men. So don't let it be my enemies that take me. And so an angel of the Lord brings a plague upon the people of Israel. Angels are powerful. And then we see with the Assyrians, when they besiege Jerusalem, one angel of the Lord shows up. All these Assyrians are there. One angel shows up and overnight kills how many people? How many soldiers does one angel kill? 185,000 fighting men. 185,000 people. One angel. Serious power is held by those angels. And who shuts the mouths of the lions in the den where Daniel is? There's an angel with him keeping the mouths closed of those lions so they don't tear him to pieces. Angels are powerful. And they're also scary when they show up as well. They're in dazzling white or when you see uh, when Ezekiel uh, sees visions of them, the cherubim and the seraphim, they are powerful-looking beings. And when they show up in uh, places like the New Testament, what do they usually say? Don't be afraid. Because it's natural that you are afraid. When an angel shows up, you want to hit the deck. 
don't be afraid is what they have to say because they are powerful, powerful beings. And one other thing that shows how powerful they are is that they don't sin. They're holy beings. So, of course, they are much, much superior to men, aren't they? They're superior creatures to mankind because they have so much more power. They're holy. They bring the message of God straight from God. And we're told that they're superior to us as well. In this same book, in Hebrews, chapter 2, just go over the page. If you've got a black church pew Bible there, there's page 1,185. And what does it say about Jesus in verse 7? You made him a little lower than the angels. Chapter 2, verse 7. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. You made him a little lower than angels. And then down verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. When he became a man, he became lower than these powerful beings. And so it's no surprise that the Israelites revered the angels. And one of the big reasons they revered them was because angels were the ones who gave the law to Moses. It doesn't say it at the time in Exodus, but you see it again and again in the pages of the Bible that they refer back to those angels that gave the law to Moses. And so they respected the law not just because Moses gave it, the prophet, but because it was given by angels But some Israelites even revered angels a little too much. We see some of them starting to think that the angels are better than the Messiah. There's a Dead Sea sect that we can read of that taught that there were going to be two messiahs. There was going to be a messianic figure that would be a king and there was going to be one that was a priest. And they would be subordinate to the archangel Michael. So when the Messiah came, some people were expecting that the angel would be above the Messiah. And some Israelites even started to worship angels. And Colossians chapter 2 speaks about people who worship angels. And so then it's natural for people, particularly Jews who believe in angels, to question where Jesus stands in relation to angels. Yes, you may be able to convince me, they might say, that Jesus is superior to the prophets. But we know that the prophets got their message, particularly Moses, from angels. And so maybe Jesus is superior to the prophets, but he's really just an angel. He's not higher than the angels. He may just be a little bit lower than the angels, or at best he may be an angel himself. And the author of the Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, wants to answer this question. Where does Jesus stand in relation to angels? And he wants to make clear that Jesus is superior to the angels. And we're going to look at that for the next couple of weeks. He gives a few reasons as to why Jesus is superior to the angels. But this week I want to look at the first reason that he gives, and that is that Jesus is greater than angels because he is the Son of God. And that's my second main point this morning. Jesus is greater than angels because he is the Son of God. Angels can be collectively called the sons of God, and that happens a couple of times in the Old Testament, that angels are referred to as the sons of God. But no angel is ever called the Son of God, the Son, God's Son, 
Now, we might think, oh, well, what does being called the Son of God have to do with Jesus being superior to an angel? Well, we've got to remember that we call people by names that we just think sound good. So when we have a child, we think, oh, what's the name that kind of appeals to my ear? And then the meaning sort of, we don't really care too much about the meaning of that name. Well, for the Jews, names were very important because of the meaning of the name. And so when you were called something, you were called that because it attached some meaning, some significance to who you are. And Jesus being called the Son of God implies something about who he is. And it implies that he is superior to angels. How's that? Well, it implies that he is in a greater relationship to God than that the angels have to God. What are angels in their relationship to God? Well, their relationship is that they are creatures and God is a creator. What is the relationship that Jesus has to God? He is the son. He is not just a servant. He is the son of God. He is the same as God. He is not a created being. He is the same. And so he is the son. And so he is greater than angels because he is the son of God. Now, is it simply that Jesus being the son of God makes him superior to angels? Or is there some other significance given to us by the author of Hebrews here as to what sort of son of God he is? that encourages us that he is far superior? Well, I think there is, because the author of Hebrews doesn't just tell us that he is the Son of God, but he picks two proof texts from the Old Testament as to why Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't think he just picks them randomly, that he just goes after any proof text, but he picks two that really portray who Jesus is as the Son. And so I want to look at those in turn now, because they really do show that Jesus is not just simply a son, but he's a particular type of son. And so the first is from Psalm chapter 2, and that's there in verse 5. We see in verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Here's a quote from Psalm chapter 2, telling us that Jesus is God's son, But not just that he is the son of God, but that he is a mighty son of God. Is that there in the text, verse 5? You are my son, today I have become your father. Does it say anything about his might and power there? Well, it doesn't appear to, does it? But there is a hint there telling us that this shows Jesus is mighty and that he is superior to angels, as it has said in verse 4, where it said, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The word today tips us off. Why does he say, today I have become your father? Lots of people have puzzled over this as to what it means by today I have become your father. Some people think it refers to Jesus' incarnation, his birth. Today I have become your father. So when he came into the world and was born, that's generally when we say, yes, you're a father. Father's Day is recognized by those people who have been born. And so some people say Jesus became God's son when it says today at his birth. Other people think that today represents his baptism. So when he was there getting baptized and he comes up, 
and God recognizes him from, from heaven with the Holy Spirit coming down and the thundering voice of God the Father. They say that's when he became the Son of God. That's what today refers to. Some people think that the t- today just represents all eternity, not one specific time, but all of eternity, that Jesus has been God's Son from all eternity. And so when it says today there, it says he's always been. Today is a period of time which is represented by eternity. And some very um, good theologians take that. Uh, Augustine, uh, the great church father, he believed that, uh, that it represented all of eternity. But I think it's not any of those. I think it refers to Jesus' resurrection and exaltation. That when it says today... It's referring to Jesus being raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God. Now, it's not saying that Jesus was the son of God before that. Yes, he's been God's son. But when it says today there, it's saying today, when you have conquered death, you have become my son. I recognize you in a special way. Now, why do I believe that? Well, I believe the New Testament tells us that in a couple of places, particularly the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 33, also quotes this text from Psalm 2. Acts 13, verse 33, page 1092, if you've got a black church Bible. Acts 13, verse 33. I'll read from verse 32, though. Acts 13, verse 32. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. So can you see that link there? By raising up Jesus fulfills the words of Psalm 2. And then over in Romans 1, the next book over from Acts chapter, um, Acts, the next book over is Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Although I read from verse 1 because this is such a good passage. Uh, Romans chapter 1, this is a way to open a letter. If you're ever going to write a, a decent letter, open it up like this, although use, um, use your own name, not Paul's at the beginning there. Paul, verse 1 of Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared, declared with power to be the son of God. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. When was he declared to be the son of God? By his resurrection from the dead. And so I think what the author of Hebrews Use, and why the author of Hebrews uses Psalm 2 here is to show that he's not just the son of God that makes him superior to angels. He's the son of God who has power to raise himself from the dead. Have any of the angels ever died and come back to life themselves? No, but God's son has. He is a powerful, powerful son, much more powerful than the angels, even with their great power at being able to kill 185,000 people overnight. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's got such power that he can die and bring himself back to life and then be exalted to the right hand of God. 
And then the other way that we see that Jesus is a particularly special son of God is the quote that comes from 2 Samuel 7. And that's the second quote that we're given in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. The second quote reads, I will be his father and he will be my son. Is this randomly chosen or has it got particular significance? I think it's got very particular significance here because it shows that Jesus is not just the son of God, but Jesus is the messianic son of God. And that's my fourth main point this morning. Jesus is greater than the angels because he is the messianic son of God. The quote from 2 Samuel 7 is a very important part of, and comes from a very important part of the Bible. 2 Samuel 7 is one of those parts of the Bible that we should all know as being very significant in Christian history. And it's because there we have the promise from God to King David that he would have a son whose kingdom and throne would last forever. And that this son would be the one who was worthy of building a house for God. His kingdom and throne would last forever and he would build a house for God. So this son was going to be very special. And when we read that passage, we think automatically of Solomon, the son that comes after King David. And we see that he has a a very mighty throne. He has a big kingdom. And he has the opportunity and he takes it to build the house of God. And so we see a partial fulfillment that happens in Solomon. But then as we follow Solomon for a few chapters after, his kingdom gets so big, we see that his kingdom doesn't last even to his next son. The kingdom splits after that. And his kingdom clearly doesn't last forever in that it stays the way it was. And what about that house of God that Solomon builds? Does it last? No, it doesn't. It gets destroyed when the Babylonian army comes and burns everything in the, in the city. It's rebuilt, but the one that Solomon built isn't there any longer at all. You go to Jerusalem, you're not going to see Solomon's temple there. So did Solomon fulfill that prophecy in 2 Samuel 7? No, he didn't. And so quickly the prophets started to understand that this passage, 2 Samuel 7, it doesn't refer to Solomon. It refers to a Messiah, another son that would come from David's line that would fulfill those promises, who would have a kingdom that would last forever and would build the house of God. And so they waited for that son, that Messiah that would come. And the author of Hebrews says to these Jews here, who've been expecting the Messiah, Jesus is that Messiah. He's not just God's son. He is the Messiah. He is the one that will have a kingdom that lasts forever. He is the one that is building a house of God. How does Jesus do that? Well, he uses himself and he uses Christians to build the temple of God. And so he is not just the son of God. He is the messianic son of God who has a kingdom that's not going to die some point in the future, 
but will last forever. And he sits on a throne that will last forever, and he is building the house of God. And no angel has ever been the Messiah whose kingdom will last forever and who builds the house of God. Yes, angels are powerful beings, and we should tremble at the sight of them if we see one. But we have to recognise that they don't compete with Jesus, God's own Son, the Messianic Son, the Son who can raise himself from the dead. So the author of Hebrews says, don't reject Jesus for angels. That's what you Jews are thinking of doing by going back to your old ways. You're going back for the law, the Old Testament, given by angels. And so you're recognising angels as better than Jesus because you're putting them and their law over Jesus. Don't do that, he is saying. Jesus is far superior to angels. And we shouldn't reject Jesus for angels either. Should we? Because Jesus is far superior. You shouldn't take angels that appear to be good over Jesus' word. There are angels that appear to be good and come with a message from God. And we see that with the religion of Mormon, don't we? The angel Moroni, I hope I pronounced that correctly, spoke to Joseph Smith and gave him the Book of Mormon. And people take that revelation over the revelation given by Jesus Christ. And he appears to be a good angel giving a word from God. But we should not accept it. We accept Jesus as the superior being, the final revelation of God, who gives us the pure gospel. With such angels that tell us a false gospel, what does the Apostle Paul say? About such angels, he says in Galatians chapter 1, anyone who speaks a different gospel to the one I preach to you, whether it be man or angel, let him be eternally condemned. The Apostle Paul says even an angel shows up giving you a different gospel, let him be eternally condemned. And then he says it again, I repeat, in Galatians 1, he says it twice, let him be eternally condemned. Don't take an angel's word over Jesus' word. And then there's even bad angels that we might be tempted to take over Jesus. Fallen angels. Satan, he's a fallen angel. He's a created being and all his demons. And he can be contacted. The demons, you can get into the occult where they do things that are real with demons With Ouija boards, they make contact, we have spirits visit them. And there is that temptation for many people to take such spirits over Jesus Christ and his word. And they'd rather sit in dark rooms with candles lit and some sort of seance than listen to Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews says, don't do it. They are powerful beings. Satan has a lot of power. But he is in no way superior to Jesus Christ, God's own son, the one who raised himself from the dead, the messianic son. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to demons. They may be able to do strange things, knockings on the wall, move things, give you powerful uh, strengths, but don't take them over Jesus Christ. Jesus is far superior to them. 
Now, you may not be tempted by Mormonism, and you may not be tempted to mess in the occult, but the truth is we're all natural angel worshippers in the sense that we worship the fallen angel of Satan. Every time we sin, we are taking Satan over Jesus. Every time you listen to his temptation and act on it, you are saying, I would rather take Satan's advice as to what I should do in this situation than Jesus. I would rather put him supreme to Jesus Christ. And we're tempted to do that every day. We sin again and again. And we've got to remember we put Jesus supreme. Don't listen to that fallen angel, Satan and his demons, and put Jesus below them by sinning against him. Affirm his superiority. Don't just say it with your mouth. When we sing, when we pray, when we read the Bible, but say it by your actions. Acknowledge the supremacy of Christ in the way you live, in obedience to him and not in obedience to fallen angels instead. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, you've never affirmed Jesus' superiority to angels, what is your higher authority? Is it you, a man below angels? Is it another man, the Old Testament, prophets there? Do you acknowledge them instead of Jesus? Or do you acknowledge some angel as superior to Jesus? I beg you to consider what you're doing. Recognise Jesus is far superior to angels, to humans, to you, because he is God's own son. God's son who showed that he is the son by raising himself from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, everything showed that he is who he claimed to be, God's son. Christianity rises and falls with the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't take place, then Jesus isn't God's son in the way he is declared to be there. I ask you to consider whether Jesus was raised from the dead and consider what that means, that he is God's son and he is superior to any person and any other created being, including angels that can wipe out 185,000 people overnight. Jesus is far superior. Recognize him today as Lord. Repent of your sins and believe in him. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your one and only Son into this world And we thank you that we know that he is your son because he came back to life. He conquered death. Lord, this is such a wonderful truth and it shows his superiority to everything. He is superior to us. He is superior to men of God who spoke your word in the Bible. He is superior even to angels both good ones like Gabriel and Michael, but he's also superior to Satan and his demons. Lord, help us to recognise his superiority day by day, particularly in the way that we live. Every time we sin, we are expressing an allegiance to someone else and not to Jesus. Lord, may that not be. 
Help us to crucify the sin that is in us and to continually recognise Jesus Christ as the supreme being. And Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who does not recognise Jesus as supreme. We pray that you may help them to understand what your word says and may you give them wisdom to make the right decision as to who you are and what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.